Matthew chapter 8, follow with me as I begin reading this morning in verse 23. If you're ready, say, let's go. All right, verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, he being Jesus, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful? Oh, ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Why are ye fearful? And that's what Jesus asked his disciples in verse 26. And that's what I want to ask you this morning. Why are ye fearful? <laughs> At this point, the answer is probably pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh, the coronavirus and all that it, that it brings with it. People are afraid of getting sick. People are afraid of dying. People are afraid of being quarantined for two weeks. Many of you, I'm sure, are like me and have enjoyed the uh, Facebook memes of late. I've got a couple of favorites. One was a, a guy who said, how long is this social distancing supposed to last? My wife keeps trying to get in the house. And then just, I mean, almost immediately after folks found out that the state was shutting down all of the school buildings and the children were going to be at home, uh, somebody said this, now parents are going to understand that it really hasn't been the teacher's fault. <laughs> People are afraid of running out of necessary supplies for their children and for themselves. People are afraid of losing their jobs. They're afraid of losing their retirement. They're afraid of losing their minds. People are afraid of more governmental overreach in the future. Now that they see how much Americans are willing to give up with little to no resistance. Parents, especially single parents, are fretting and trying to figure out how they're going to keep working to pay the bills, while at the same time make sure that their children are educated and cared for. And mercy, all of that is on top of what already had us worried. Fear is a fearful thing. When I speak of fear, I'm not, I want you to understand this, I'm not speaking of that healthy, 
holy fear that is spoken of in the Bible. For example, in Matthew 10, 28, we read this, and fear them not which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. People seem to be more concerned right now with what may kill them physically than what they are with where they will spend eternity should that happen. Listen, a doctor should fear giving a wrong diagnosis. An electrician should fear the hot wire that he's working next to. The airplane pilot should fear a terrible thunderstorm and and try to avoid it. Fear would be an appropriate reaction to a burning building or a growling dog. So there is a fear that is good. But there is also a fear that is depressing and deceptive and destructive. And this is the type of fear that starves your faith and feeds your doubt. It's the type of faith that, or excuse me, the type of fear that Peter had on the Sea of Galilee that focuses on the storm and forgets the Savior. This fear is both unhealthy and it's unholy and will eventually make you unhappy. It's this kind of fear that the disciples displayed in our text. Look at the Lord's question again in in verse 26. Why are ye fearful? As one pastor asked, Isn't that kind of like one swimmer asking another swimmer, why are you wet? But Jesus wasn't joking. He was serious. But then again, so were those to whom he asked the question. When they said, Lord, save us, we perish, they weren't kidding. They were absolutely convinced that they were going to die If Jesus didn't do something and do it quickly. It's interesting to study the way Matthew remembered this event and and the way he worded it. He was very careful in his terminology. Because not just any word would do in describing the cause of their fear. It's almost like he reached up on his shelf and grabbed his Greek thesaurus to find the exact word to describe the reality of their fear. And as his finger followed the list of words, he could have stopped at the word that would have described a spring shower. Or he could have gone on down and and maybe picked the word that, that would have described a downpour. But those words really didn't capture what he felt and what he saw that night. So his finger continued down the page until he came to the word seismos. That word means a quake. It means a trembling eruption of earth and sky. 
So here's what Matthew was saying in the original language of the New Testament. And behold, there arose a seismos in the sea. We still use that word today when we speak of a seismologist. One who studies earthquakes and a seismograph. An instrument used for measuring earthquakes. So what Matthew remembered of that night was a seismos that shook the crew of that ship to their core. I've never been in an earthquake. But I've had my world rocked a time or two. How about you? Yeah. Look at verse 23 again. It says, and when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And what you would expect to read at this point would be something a bit more positive than, and behold, there arose a great tempest. Now, if we were reading about Jonah, that's exactly what we would expect to read because Jonah was disobedient. But these disciples were not. They were following Jesus, but they still experienced a great tempest. Okay, time out. There's a great teaching moment right here. So tune in. Devoted followers of Jesus do not get a pass when it comes to the storms of life. Climbing on board with Jesus can mean getting soaked with Jesus. Disciples should expect rough seas and stout winds. I mean, Jesus said as much in John chapter 16 and verse 33 when he announced this, In the world ye shall, not might or not may or could, but shall. Ye shall have tribulation. It's nothing new for Christians in our day to bury children or to get cancer or to lose a job and as a result face fear. It's not the absence, listen, it's not the absence of storms that set us apart. It's who we discover in the storm. It's that peace that that Paul talked about that passes all understanding. That can only come from the one that we discover in the midst of our storm. The end of verse 24 is interesting, but he, again speaking of Jesus, was asleep. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like Jesus was off somewhere sleeping when you needed him the most? I submit to you this morning that Jesus did not accidentally nod off. I am convinced personally that he went to sleep on purpose. In other words, in full, listen, in full knowledge of the impending storm, Jesus decided it was time to catch some Z's. And why did he do that? 
I believe it was for the same reason that sometimes he appears to be sleeping in the midst of our storms. It's because he wanted his disciples then and those of us who, who follow him now to realize our need of a greater faith. Faith is like a muscle. It has to be exercised to get stronger. And church, listen to me this morning. Sometimes God will take us through a trying time so we can exercise our faith. The disciples' fear revealed the weakness of their faith. What has this trial revealed about your faith and about my faith? But it also shows us something else. Their response shows us this morning that fear has consequences. And here's one of those consequences. It causes us to question God's goodness. We'll not turn there this morning, but in Mark's account of this same incident over in Mark chapter 4, he remembers someone saying, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now watch this. They didn't question his strength. Can you still the storm? They didn't question his knowledge. Are you aware of the storm? They didn't question his know-how. Do you have any experience with storms? No, they raised doubts about his character. Do you care? Now, before you get too critical of the disciples for asking Jesus if he cared, ask yourself how many times you've been guilty of questioning the character of God during your storm. Or better yet, how about the last seven days? How many times have you questioned God? If God is so powerful, then why doesn't he just stop this virus? If God has all knowledge, then why didn't he see this coming and do something? If God really loves us and cares for us, then why is he letting us go through this right now? I mean, really, if God can sleep during our storms... If his eyes can stay shut when ours grow wide, if he permits storms after we get in his boat, does he really care? And the answer to that is yes. A thousand times yes. He does care. But fear causes us to question that. Something else fear does is it turns us into control freaks. Matthew remembers someone demanding Jesus to do something about the storm. They said, Lord, save us. We perish. Fear at its center 
is a perceived loss of control. A third consequence of fear is that it messes with our memory. Think about what these men had already seen Jesus do. Some of you know where I'm going already. They had seen him heal all kinds of sickness and disease among the people. They had seen him heal a leper with, with the touch of his hand and a, and a servant with just the words of his mouth. Peter saw his sick mother-in-law recover. They all saw him as he sent the devil's demons packing with just the sound of his voice. Had they forgotten all of that? Obviously they had. Fear creates a form of spiritual amnesia. And most of us have suffered from it at one point or the other in our Christian life. Church, why is it that we find it so easy to doubt after all the things that God has done for us? Why is it so easy for us to doubt when we've witnessed the might and the power and the hand of God in the lives of others? Fear does that. It messes with our memory. Can I just tell you this this morning? God's got this thing. After everything that God's dealt with in history, God's got this. I'm not saying we need to be foolish about it, we need to be careless about it. But just remember everything God's already done for you in your life. Remember everything that God's already brought you through. And if you'll just stay anchored to Him, He'll get us through this too. Amen. One other thought real quick. Fear is frightful. Every time I succumb to fear, it seems as though it sucks the life out of my soul. It's discouraging, it's depressing, it's defeating. Listen to what one writer had to say about the dreadful effects of fear. When fear shapes our lives, safety becomes our God. When safety becomes our God, we worship the risk-free life. Can the safety lover do anything great? Can the risk-averse accomplish noble deeds for God, for others? No. The fear-filled cannot love deeply. Love is risky. They cannot give to the poor. Benevolence has no guarantee of return. The fear-filled cannot dream wildly. What if their dreams sputter and fall from the sky? The worship of safety emasculates greatness. And then he said this, No wonder Jesus wages such a war against fear. 
The Gospels list some 125 Christ-issued imperatives. And of those 21, urge us to either not be afraid or not fear or have courage or take heart or be of good cheer. So if quantity is any indicator, Jesus takes our fears seriously. And if quantity is an indicator, then we also know that things like anxiety and worry and dread and insecurity and hysteria are not from God. Of course, we know that already because of what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1 7, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 1 7. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So fear is real. And fear has consequences. But here's the good news this morning. Fear can be overcome. Let me share three simple steps with you on how to say farewell to fear. First of all, admit your fear. When David had been captured one time by the Philistines, he said this, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. David, listen, we're talking about the great warrior king of Israel, admitted that he was afraid. Pretending that, that you're not afraid or pretending that fear does not exist will not save, or excuse me, solve the problem. Never be ashamed to admit your fear. If this whole virus thing has created a, a bit of fear in you, admit it. There's no shame there. Secondly, activate your faith. God's answer to fear is faith. That's why he said to the disciples, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little what, church? Faith. Had the disciples possessed the appropriate amount of faith, fear would not have been a factor. Listen, everything that fear is, or excuse me, faith is, fear is not. Everything that faith does, fear undoes. Faith saves, fear dooms. Faith believes, fear doubts. Faith perseveres, fear quits. Faith wins, fear loses. Faith gives, fear keeps. Faith builds up, fear tears down. Faith moves ahead, fear shrinks, sits still. Faith is courageous, fear is cowardly. Faith says yes, fear says no. Faith grows, fear stagnates, faith obeys, fear refuses to obey. Faith lives, fear dies, activate your faith. And eliminate fear. And then I would say this. Acknowledge your father. 
In Isaiah 12, 2, we read this. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Let's wrap this up with Matthew's recollection of how everything ended. Look at it. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. How many of you would admit this morning that you could use a little calm in your life right now? Come on, raise your hand. Good. That's the first step. Admit fear. Now, activate your faith. Act like it's so, even when it's not so, in order that it might be so, because God said so. Believe the word of God and act on it, no matter how you feel, because God promises a good result. Activate your faith by spending some time in prayer. And when you pray, acknowledge your Father. Acknowledge who He is. He is a very present help in time of trouble. He is a strong tower. He is our refuge. He is our shield. He is our protector. He is our provider. Remind yourself of that. Anchor your faith to the Word of God and to the God of the Word. Acknowledge his love for you and your trust in him. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, that is, if there's not been a time in your life when you have confessed your sin to God and called upon Jesus to be your Savior, I'm going to be straight up honest with you this morning. You have every right to be fearful. Because you have no help in this life. And you have no hope in the life to come. But I've got good news for you. That may be how you are. But that doesn't mean that's how you have to stay. All of that can change for you today. You may have started the day with a spirit of fear, but I'm telling you, based on the authority of the Word of God, you can end it with a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And as I do, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm going to invite you to come. Let one of our ministry staff show you more clearly how to become a faith-filled believer. For those joining us through the internet, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you understand what it means to be saved, and you desire to be saved today, then I would encourage you to pray.
right where you are, confessing your sin to God, confessing that you know you're a sinner and that you cannot save yourself and that you want to ask Jesus to save you. And if you make that decision today, would you contact us and let us know about that? We'd love to rejoice with you. And then for every believer, under the sound of my voice, here in a moment, I'm going to ask you, if you're here this morning, I'm going to ask you to come take a knee. At home, I'm going to ask you to pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders on every level. Local, state, national. Pray for our economy. Pray for those in the medical field, some who are a part of the fellowship family, who are on the front lines in this battle. And then can we do this? Can we just pray for a quick end to this pandemic? And a return to some form of normalcy, whatever that might be.